Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. What are you passionate about? And who is the singular person you want to talk to about that passion? If you love basketball, maybe it's Michael Jordan. If you love the cello, maybe it's Yo-Yo Ma. If you love pop music, maybe it's Taylor Swift. Well, our guests got to spend quality time with the individual that shines brightest in his field. Stick around to find out how it all went down. TeamSnap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. As you start thinking about your spring sports season, the TeamSnap app can help you spend more time focusing on coaching and less time worrying about the team management side of things. Even in this preseason time, coaches can use the app to start building relationships with players and parents through the messaging features. Plus, once your spring schedule's ready, put it on the app for parents to easily sync to their calendars. Download the TeamSnap app in your mobile app store or visit teamsnap.com winning for more information. On the Mount Rushmore bodybuilding, there might only be one face, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Before he was a politician, businessman, or A-list actor, Arnold grew up humbly in Austria, starting to lift weights after reading a magazine and winning all the major titles in bodybuilding to kickstart his amazing career. Ebenezer Samuel has admired Arnold since he was a boy himself, and he recently got to write a cover story and work out with the legend. Stay tuned to hear the amazing experience that Eb had. Who was an unsung hero from your childhood that was key in just developing you as a young person? Like, did you have a teacher or a a coach or a neighbor that really was a a positive mentor-like figure when you were younger? His name was Brian McGinley, and he's the guy who kind of introduced me to the idea that if you lift weights, you can build muscle, right? Which, again, 13, 14-year-old kid, this was kind of big for me, and it's kind of what got me into it and started me on the path I wound up going. His dad had like a full one of those cable machine setups in the basement, and so he introduced me to weights for the first time. You know, and he's like, if you do these, you know, and it's such like a a very 13, 14-year-old way of conceiving this. He's like, if you do 12 to 15 reps, if you do three sets, you know, I guarantee you, you'll have biceps in three months, right? And then showed me a bunch of exercises and that kind of got me started on the path to fitness. So I'll say that. Hmm. Um, and I would go over his house like once a month and, and get in my training session once a month. I did that for like three months and then I was like, dad, I need a bench, right? <laughs> and finally my dad wound up getting that for me. Yeah, I would say that's probably the closest thing to somebody. What's one thing you'd tell your eight, 12 and 16 year old self? Um, probably just to be patient and trust the process, right? At every level, there's definitely been some anxiety and nervousness about what's coming next, right? And how, how it's going to be executed. I remember growing up and thinking on some level that like I was going to fail, right? Because I was like, what's my skill? How am I going to make a ton of money if I'm not going to play pro sports exactly what I'm going to do, right? But in a weird way, a lot of the pieces have just kind of worked out in a way that I think they were supposed to. So um, as long as I've kind of trusted the process and attacked everything that's come my way, I've largely been okay. That's awesome. 
What's something that you wrestled or struggled with in middle or high school? Like, what was that thing? I, I feel like I have a sense of what it was, but I'm just curious if you can kind of articulate that for me. Hmm. Definitely wasn't math. It was, it was honestly the social dynamics of, of high school and grade school, right? And I think, again, part of that is because I moved around a lot, because in most of the settings, it wasn't ultra diverse. And so I didn't see people who kind of looked like me. I didn't necessarily feel comfortable. And also my parents, like my parents are like, there's like a level of kind of, I think, weird that comes with being a minority. And that doubles up, right, when both your parents have completely different accents and one of them like can't walk, right? So I think there was a lot of stuff and there was a lot of stuff going on there. Um, and so I think figuring that out was definitely like the hardest part. Yeah, I could totally see that. That makes a lot of sense. When you look back, though, what was one of the benefits? Because, you know, I think oftentimes those challenges that we deal with if we can persevere through those, we see the great lessons and benefits from that. And I moved around a lot when I was younger, and that was very difficult. But one of the benefits of that was that allowed me to be somebody who could relate to a lot of people very quickly, which obviously was very useful when we were reporters. So that constant moving around and things, how did that benefit you later on in life? A hundred percent agree with you. I think one is kind of exactly what you said. Because we move around and I have to kind of start over multiple times in terms of making friends, trying to figure out how to fit in. I didn't necessarily understand the social dynamics of creating deeper friendships because, you know, mm. I didn't have time, right? But yeah. when I gradually came to understand by the time I probably got to, to Syracuse and probably a little bit before that was kind of the art of light speed social dynamics, right? I'm not going to make like a, a lifelong friendship out of this relationship, but what does this person need, right? What do I need from them? And how do we kind of complete that exchange over the course of, you know, two months, two weeks, you know, two hours, mm -hmm. two days, right? Which is again, kind of, like you said, the heart of journalism. So I got really, really good, I would say at that. I think that was probably, mm -hmm. um, I think that was the biggest lesson I got from that. The other thing I got out of kind of my youth was the idea that it's okay to, to be different, right? Mm. And that it's actually in the long term, it's better to, it's better to be different and stand out, right? Mm. At this, and that's hard at first though, isn't it? Yeah, this took me- Because you just want to fit in. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while. It took me a while to fit. It took me a while to figure it out. But it's like, I, I just want, you just want to fit in, but then you actually really yeah. don't, right? You want to kind yeah. of- you want to kind of like fit in, but somehow like be like almost like in the, you, you want to fit in as an, as an elite in whatever group you're in. Right. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to kind of understand that I was never really going to fit in. Right. You know, I'm not one of the black guys. I'm not one of the white guys. You know, at some point I gradually kind of made peace with the fact that like, I'm kind of going to look different, especially cause I'm mixed. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of going to look different, even like when, when we go back to Malaysia, you know, because we don't necessarily speak a whole ton of Malay and because our skin color yeah. is different there too. Yeah. So we don't necessarily, like me, my brother and my sister don't necessarily fit in the same way that my parents do when we go back there. So yeah. when you factor all those things in, it was kind of like, well, the only thing I can do is be a really, really be different. And, and it sounds cheesy and it sounds like what they say when you're in third grade anyway, like just be unique. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. but I think coming out of it, I understood that deep down, I want to stand out and kind of be different. 
I understood how to kind of be okay with that, which I think is, mm-hmm. is was a very, very valuable skill in terms of writing because mm-hmm. a lot of the stories that I feel like I got the most love for, I was never going to be a great beat writer because I was going to be an okay, I was going to be a competent to, to okay beat writer, right? But I was never interested. Like there was always a part of me that understood the transactional relationship I was going to have with the Joel Siegel or Drew Rosenhaust or any of those guys. I understood it. Right. But um, I didn't love it, you know, because it wasn't because to me it was a transaction. Right. And beyond that transaction, there wasn't anything else. And so there was always going to be a part of me that wasn't, you know, I can, I can only try so hard, especially by the time I feel like you got into it a couple of years before I did. So like you had a chance to build like somewhat real relationships. By the time I got into it, Joel Siegel had you, you know, and Manish and 8 million other guys, right? But the one thing I did do very, very well, I wasn't going to break a ton of news, but I was going to write some really, really good features because I was the guy who was able to see, oh, the Giants have six torn ACL injuries that are all very similar um, in training camp. And there's got to be a common thing to that. And so I was able to, I think, create like a lot of good features that I'm proud of in part because mm-hmm. I was kind of willing to, I was never going to complete with Sean Jensen on some level. I remember thinking that actually, I think we went to a dinner one night with like, with another, was it Eugene Lee? But I remember coming out of that and being like, there's no way I can run with that guy. You're just going to get all the scoops, you know, but I can write a whole ton of really good features. And so let me just do that. So, Eb, tell me about that transition because, I mean, I think you're underselling yourself, but you could still be a well-paid sports reporter, right? It was an interesting transition, because, but I don't think it was much of a transition because I think this is, on some level, what I'm really meant to do. I think it's, it takes a while to kind of figure out exactly what, what you want and why you want to do it, right? Mm. And it took, it took me on sports media wound up being kind of my circuitous path to fitness because now it's, it's crazy. Now I still work with athletes, right? Like I've trained, mm-hmm. like, I've trained with DeMarcus Ware. I've trained a couple pro athletes myself, right? Um, I've trained Daryl Owens, Bart Scott, like a bunch of guys who like I grew up with, you know, or grew up like incredible. Yeah, right? Yeah. So it's just a different dynamic, right? I think early on, like, I kind of realized, you know, this is fun, but it's, you know, covering sports was great and I got to go really, really cool places. But I think overall there was something that I didn't want to be one of those old reporters who was bald, right? And again, no disrespect to anybody who does that. I didn't want to be like the lifer who basically relies on all the other athletes to, you know, mm-hmm. like my legacy it should not be, and I owe better to my dad, right? My legacy cannot be the fact that I, I wrote about a bunch of other great athletes, right? It's like, what greatness can I tap for myself, you know? Um, and so I think I was actually looking for my own way out and I had started talking to Muscle and Fitness, which was another fitness uh-huh. publication. When the men's health thing came along, I think I was very ready for it. Well, recently you had an opportunity, I mean, especially with your passion and your space, that has to be a career highlight. And you had a chance to spend some time with a legend in your space. Tell me about that experience. So our next, um, or our current cover actually at Men's Health, the uh, July-August issue, is on Schwarzenegger, right? I did the story on him. If everything works out, I don't know if I'll do another one of those stories for a lot of reasons, right? But I did the story on him as part of that story. I wound up getting to train with him, which was to put it in really simple terms. It was really, really, really cool. That's what like 
12 year old me would say. Yeah. That's what it was. I think it worked for me and it has worked for me on two different planes, right? One of the things that I always wanted to do when I decided to get into journalism, you know, reading, you know, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Men's Health, right? It's like the dream is kind of to write a cover, right? Mm-hmm. I've written three at Men's Health, which is, it's wild because like dream deferred stuff. I remember coming out of that and, you know, I was like struggling with the social dynamics of growing up and a kid and moving around, right? And um, I was like, well, if I look like that, you know, if I have biceps like that, that'll solve all my problems, you know? And now you do. <laughs> there, there's actually one photo where I swear my biceps are bigger than his, but he's also 75, right? <laughs> but so, yeah, the, the idea of just, um, I would have been happy to just kind of sit down for an interview with him. The idea of that I might get to train with him, a completely another level, right? So the workout ends with, uh, with biceps curls, preacher curls, right? So there's, there's also like a poetry to that because really all I wanted ever was like Arnold's biceps, right? Um, <laughs> and because biceps were the one thing, biceps are also one of the one things like that have come very naturally to me. It was the first exercise I did in the gym, right? And I sit down to this preacher curl machine, very last set, and Arnold stepped behind me, right? And he was basically like, make this set like your best ever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he's so motivational just as I, I feel like he understands that his role has shifted. And so he's so just the way he goes about his business in the gym and his business when he has a training partner, he's very motivational, like just another level. Mm-hmm. And there's also some halo effect of the fact that he's been in every single movie I've ever watched. Right. Um, <laughs> but, and he put his hands on my biceps and I'm like, Arnold freaking Schwarzenegger is touching my biceps. Right. It's probably, you know, coming up when my parents moved here, all the kind of stuff like, you know, when my parents moved here, kind of trying to figure out high school, you know, all that, what am I going to go to school for, getting this accounting degree, all this stuff. The least probable thing I thought is that one of the most bankable actors in the history of Hollywood and one of the most famous people, you know, probably in the world is going to be like spotting me and educating me through a biceps curl, right? Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it was like freeze frame, um, which we did yeah. because, you know, 2023. So there's a whole ton of pictures and a whole ton of video, but a whole ton of receipts that happened, right? It's not just, a, me- I yeah. mean, it's a, it, so it's a memory that is very tactile to me. But um, at the same time, like I can pull up on my phone and show, show anybody, which is the really cool part about where the era we're in now. We all know that sports is an important building block for today's youth. Sports teach kids valuable life lessons, leadership, teamwork, perseverance, and much more. But today's youth face more pressure than ever before, in the classroom, at home, and even on the field. TeamSnap, the presenting sponsor of Winning Is Not Everything, will be hosting a webinar on mental health in youth sports. On June 29th at 1 p.m., I will have a conversation with Minnesota Vikings linebacker Brian Asamoa on his experience with mental health in youth, college, and professional sports. An advocate, Asamoa brings a unique perspective to the table as he discusses his own experience with mental health and the importance of prioritizing mental health in youth sports. Check out our social media for more details. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. Also, I've launched a new newsletter, the Youth Sports Sanctuary, which aims to provide a safe space to ask questions and engage in discussions on the important challenges and issues in youth sports. Before I close, though, my presenting sponsor, Team Snap, and I are thrilled to present our Coach of the Month. 
We want to shine the spotlight on coaches and youth sports who are making a positive impact on young student athletes. And we want to recognize Dante Prevet, who leads the planning and execution of coach education initiatives for the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative. Among many other roles, Dante is the creator of NFL Flag Philly, and he's in his 15th year of coaching tackle and flag football, rugby, lacrosse, and basketball. Congratulations, Dante. Last but not least, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap, the go-to app to help you have a successful spring sports season. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen.